Hey folks, this is P. Bissardo and you are listening to Dimitri on Smoke Free Radio. Hello my fellow vapers, welcome to another edition of Smoke Free Radio right here on the VP Live Network. I want to apologize for missing my spot last week, however I did have an AIMSA meeting to attend to. Guess what? Wednesday night, 9pm Eastern, I guess that's the best time to have a meeting so uh, I was uh, not able to make and uh, uh, make on my slot, and of course, had a lot of stuff to talk about. Some of it's kind of moot now. It's kind of funny how fast vaping news uh, moves. Um, I remember when I first started doing the vape team, and this is November of 2011, I think, when we launched uh, the vape team, and. You know, there was so much research every week to come up with the relevant stories and the scientific stories and the bans, which were very, very scarce at the time, um, and trying to compile a content vaping show. And now, literally stuff that was 48 hours ago is just irrelevant because there's always another threat and more danger lurking around the corner. Uh, and if you have not noticed it, uh, you're really not advocating for this product. <laughs> if you have not noticed what's what's going on. Uh, what's on topic today? Obviously, I will be joined by two of my good friends, James Martin and Jay DeLuco, a little bit later on. We're going to be talking about um, the ever-resurfacing labeling issue on e-liquid bottles and marketing, among other things as well, too. We've got a lot of a lot of rants to go through with uh, with James and Jay. Always nice having them on and getting their perspective and, uh, and their opinion. Just a couple of things that I want to bring up first. This past Saturday here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we held our annual TSFA, Tennessee Smoke-Free Association, strategy session where all the vendors come in. Uh, We go over the budget. We go over various uh, topics of what the TSFA has done for the past year. And also, we uh, get our lobby report. We dissect it and we discuss it to come up with a strategy session of what we need to do for the upcoming legislative session. Just a proactive approach. We don't want to wait for a bill to hit the floor. We're trying to nip everything in the butt. And uh, thanks to our lobbyists, we're always well informed of what's coming, if anything, and how to handle it. I also invited Pamela Gorman and Brian Fodick to sit in and Kevin Skipper from Vista. Uh, the main reason that I wanted them to come in, uh, Kevin obviously from, from, the, from the lobbying aspect of Vista and also to talk about attorney generals. And when Jay is on, we're going to talk why attorney generals are are. are extremely important to be able to influence at this point uh, because we see in various states, as we're going to see in Massachusetts tomorrow when the bomb is going to drop, the attorney general is bringing something that's detrimental to the vaping industry in that state. We don't know exactly what it is, um, but we will know tomorrow. So if you're in Massachusetts, if you're a vapor or a vendor or manufacturer, or even if you ship to that state, if it's a big state for your wholesale distribution, please 
please get in touch with the Massachusetts Smoke Free Association. You can find the website and Facebook. Get in touch with them and join the fight because they're organizing. Uh, they already have a lobbyist that is representing them to fight this upcoming Massachusetts bullshit that's coming there. Um, however, I got a little bit sidetracked. But anyway, so uh, I brought Pamela in and Brian. They're so well-versed in dealing with legislators, Pamela being a, a, a former uh, state senator herself uh, in, in, uh, in Arizona. But they're so well-versed, and I always learn something every time I hear them speak. And I thought it was important to bring them in to talk to the vendors and to the manufacturers here in the state, and even us, the Tennessee Smoke Free Association volunteers, on how do we talk to these legislators? How do we approach them? How do we? What is our plan uh, when, when reaching out to somebody that represents you? Uh, before I get to that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the meeting and some of the stuff that you might want to uh, use in in your state association and the way that you're you're conducting business uh, in the various states that is out there. Uh, I am proud to announce that currently a smoke-free association model is being used in Virginia with the Virginia Smoke-Free Association, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Smoke-Free Association, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Georgia, Florida, and Utah. And we're also in progress working with Alabama. They're a little bit slow on there in Alabama. Cut, cut them some slack. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Roll Tide, whatever that is. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, a few of the things that we ta- we covered was the first most important thing was uh, if you remember uh, months back we launched some a research that we used the Chinese manufacturers money for uh, and that research has been submitted for peer review and publishing in Addiction uh, magazine. Uh, the results were fantastic. Uh, I, I must say I do have the full report here. I cannot share it yet for obvious reasons, but I can cover a few of the things that were discussed in this in this research. Of course, this research was contracted by the Tennessee Smoke Free Association as a nonprofit, uh, and monies were used, obviously, the majority from Chinese manufacturers, uh, seven to be exact, that, that put into this pot. And also, we had some various vendors here in the state, in Tennessee, that contributed to the um, to the cause as well too. And what was the goal? Okay, what was the what was the goal of of uh, of this research? Um, it's labeled protocol proposal for evaluation of consistency in nicotine delivery from the liquid to the aerosol of electronic cigarette atomizers. Its regulatory implications using second and third generation atomizers and devices because. The problem that we have, and all these studies that are being mentioned out there that are against us, which they're badly done, uh, well, another one hit the hit the airwaves today, are mostly done with first-generation devices or obsolete, as I would call them. I mean, a top-coil uh, clearomizer, uh, I think everybody would agree, is pretty much obsolete now. Um, nobody uses it in real life. And if they do with the devices that we have out there, um, they don't perform well. I mean, you can't take a top coil C2 and put it on a variable voltage device and hit it at 5 volts. Um, in fact, the, the study that was cited by the California, which, by the way, was an anonymous study when it was launched, um, they used a smoke tech dual cartomizer um, at over 5 volts. A 1.5 ohm, excuse me, a 1.5 ohm smoke tech dual cartomizer at 5 volts and hitting it for four seconds at a time. You're not going to get... You're not going to get good results. <laughs> but if you vaped it, 
you would know that, right? The machines can't tell you how nasty that tastes. Anyway, so on this study, there was an intersample taken and an intrasample, and the difference between the two is you do four sessions. I think they did four sessions of, of 20 puffs each. Um, on one session, they used the same coil, so did 20 puffs with one coil, and then 20 puffs with the same coil, and 20 puffs with the other coil. And then in the other sample, they replaced the coil every time. So 20 puffs with one coil, then a new coil, 20 puffs again, all using the same liquid and all that. So the purpose of the study was to see how effective and consistent the delivery of nicotine to the users. I mean, how many times have you said, oh, these guys are picking this up. They don't know how much nicotine they're getting, blah, blah, blah. I'll play an audio clip here in a little bit for somebody that's doing the same thing. Guess what? Not only were the, the, the results fantastic, it was tested up against Sigalikes. It was tested up against the, nicoto, uh, the nicotine inhaler. And also, obviously, in the, inter, in the intra-sample, where you don't have to replace coils, it was tested against a tobacco cigarette. Now, the relative standard deviation for medical nebulizers is between 75 and 125%. The results of the second generation and third generation atomizers that were tested, and the, the, the ones that were tested was the Aspire Nautilus Mini, the Kanger Tech Evod Mega, which kind of represents the last mouth-to-lung, as I call them, atomizers from the outdated technology of last year, and the Kangertech sub-tank and the Aspire Atlantis being the newer generation sub-ohm tanks that are out there. And all of them were fantastic. All of them were around 100%, anywhere from between 89 and 105% as far as the relative standard deviation was, consistently delivering nicotine. So if a user put something in his tank and wanted to get 3 milligrams of nicotine, consistently was getting the same amount no matter if they used the same coil, if they replaced the coil, showing once again that the newer generation atomizers are efficient and consistent in delivering nicotine. In fact, in fact, they scored better than Sigalikes, obviously, because of the way that a Sigalike uh, performs to, to vaporize liquid. Uh, it performed better than a, a, a medically approved nicotine inhaler, believe it or not. And obviously, it performed better than tobacco cigarette that has combustion and is inconsistent. It's not inconsistent. I shouldn't say that. They just performed better, more consistent. The findings are fantastic. So that's going to be published out soon, I hope, and I hope it triggers some response from the vapors to show the Chinese that we appreciate this. And this is how the Chinese work, by the way. We need to show them some appreciation. We need to publicize this study, and then we can go back and say, look, this did a lot of good for the industry. We need you to help fund bigger and better projects to show that tobacco harm reduction is the solution to all those deaths every year. The conclusion of that study was that second and third generation devices and tank atomizers were consistent in nicotine delivery to the user and within way within the acceptable limits for medical nebulizers. Tank type atomizers delivered higher amounts of nicotine to the aerosol and were more consistent than cartomizers. Imagine that. I like that. I like that because guess what? The big tobacco companies, all they have is cartomizers. Ha! Take that, RJR. Um, this ensures that the consumer can experience similar and consistent effects on repetitive use of the equipment. And despite the anecdotal controversy over Chinese equipment, we show that they can pro produce high quality in terms of nicotine delivery. Again, this is only to show that the nicotine delivery is consistent to the user. Uh, 347-308-8329. Press 1 if you have any questions or comments. I should have said that at the beginning. And, of course, Twitter at VapingGreek. Hashtag Radio. 
continuing on, that was one good thing from from that we presented. Uh, the other thing was how effective it is for a state association to work closely on things that matter to us, not only on a state legislature, but also a federal legislation. And uh, when we went to Washington, D.C., you remember when I talked about this when I had Jonathan Beardsley on um, and Eric Peterson, where we talked about our trip to D.C. Uh, as we went as Tennessee Smoke Free Association, we had a dozen or so vendors with us. We approached uh, all the politicians, all of our representatives, but mostly we focused on Chuck Fleischman, which is our congressman here in East Tennessee. And he is on the committee for the coal bill, H.R. 2058. And we pressured his staffer, a nice pretty boy, uh, you know, your classic quarterback Tennessee kind of guy. Um, that, to 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 relate to Chuck and Chuck was there obviously, but he, he you know he doesn't have time to talk to us peasants. But we relate to him how important it is for everybody in the industry here for him to co-sponsor HR twenty fifty eight. In fact, when we came back to Tennessee, uh, we created a call to action through our association, through all the Facebook groups, contacted our vapors, and we asked them to call his office and ask him to co-sponsor HR twenty fifty eight. Guess what? Your voice counts. It really does. Uh, we received back uh, a letter from from Chuck Fleischman saying that he is he's decided to co-sponsor um, uh, HR twenty fifty eight, stating that a couple of things, which I was very very surprised to see from him. Uh, he has co-sponsored HR twenty fifty eight. He decided to take this course of action for several reasons, including the input of many of my constituents who have shared with me how e-cigarettes have helped them finally stop smoking. That is just a fantastic written piece by one of his staffers. Doesn't make any difference who wrote it, but it's 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 written fantastic. All right, so don't think that your voice does not count. In fact, when I called his office, he, he the girl on the phone told me that the phone's been ringing off the hook. Furthermore, this was something really surprising to see from his office. In the letter, it says, "Furthermore, the fact that these regulations would retroactively drive so many entrepreneurs out of business." without explicit scientific evidence showing a clear threat to public health is not how our government should operate. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That showed that the businesses that contacted them in East Tennessee, and trust me, there's a lot of them here that he represents, told him that as the, the rule is written now with the 2007 grandfather date, everything that we have in our businesses does not match that criteria. We don't sell anything in our businesses that was on the market in 2007. So basically, if we don't push this bill, if we don't push this date, it would put all of us out of business. And trust me, we have a great economic power here in Tennessee. Fantastic work. Very, very proud of that. Speaking of consumers' voice being heard, our vice president, Jonathan Beersley, took the initiative. This was a fantastic idea. I have to give him full credit for this. We always talk about contacting your legislator, and how important it is for you to be a registered voter? And as Pamela noted to us during the conference, not only a registered voter, but to actually vote. So it's one thing if you're registered to vote, but they want to see your history, too, if you voted in the last, you know, two, three relevant elections, right? He contacted the Hamilton County uh, Election Commission and told them, listen, with the Tennessee Smoke Free Association, we have these meets, you know, uh, every four, four times a year here. We reach a lot of stores, a lot of consumers through our shops. We want to get involved and get more people to register. Guess what? Every election commission that you're going to c- contact in the country will love you because their job is to get more people to register to vote. Jonathan was a little bit apprehensive at first to do it, but when he got on the phone, she was 
thrilled that Jonathan contacted him. Not only that, but she provided him with the stock card registration paperwork so you don't have to download it from the internet, uh, flyers on, on voting and why it's important, and even a locked box for our meet this past Sunday to set up you know, an area where people can come and register to vote, put it in the box. It was a locked box so you don't have any information that's stolen and take it back to the election. It was a fantastic move, greatly appreciated by the Hamilton Election uh, It got the Tennessee Smoke Free Association name out there. We had 10 new registered voters and vapors at the meet that used this service. I, I'd like to see more, but 10 is 10 more voters than what we had before, right? Uh, and this was just the start. We, we promoted this to our stores uh, uh, when we had the meeting Saturday, and we told everybody to please download the forms on the website and get their customers to sign up to register to vote. That way you're guaranteed that when you call your representative, he'll know that you are a registered voter in his district. And that's extremely, extremely important. So good job with that, Jonathan. We also talked about uh, you know the, the power of being proactive, looking at, states and municipalities with laws that were regulating use of electronic cigarettes. Proud to say Tennessee is completely clear. Also brought up the map of efforts to impose sin taxes or extra taxes, as Pamela calls them, on electronic cigarettes across the United States. That map was provided to me by Paul Blair at Americans for Tax Reform. ATR.org, support that association. I think they're doing great work for the vapor products. And once again, Tennessee all white. We want to keep Tennessee white free of anything we want to be proactive and um and make sure that we fight off these bills lastly talk was brought up for public relations inquiry i'm proud to say that we will be the first state association that's formally going to hire a pr firm to represent tobacco harm reduction and vaping products in the state of tennessee to me i think right now especially in a state that hasn't taken an active approach to be as bad as California or Indiana, Arkansas, some of these states that that have really progressed into some bad bills. The best thing that you can do right now as a state association, A, hire a lobbyist. B, hire a PR firm. Though I just I just saw I just saw Jay's comment, <laughs> keep Tennessee white. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. I meant to say white with no uh, dots on it uh, indicating taxes or usage bans. Let me clarify myself. Because I am in Tennessee, by the way. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty funny, Jay. Um, so a PR firm, why is it extremely important to have a PR firm? Because the tactics used by California, always learn from what you're seeing in other states. The tactic that was launched in California against EC products was done through a PR firm. You think that the California Department of Health allocating $75 million over the next five years to bash electronic cigarettes are not going to a PR firm into a campaign? You're wrong. Absolutely they are. You think that the latest piece that was released stating again formaldehyde and electronic cigarettes was not a PR piece? You bet your ass it was. This is an orchestrated crime. This is an orchestrated attack against electronic cigarettes using public relations firm, which, by the way, your tax dollars are paying for. What are we doing? We need to have our voice represented in the media. We need to have our voices heard in newspapers and radios. That's what a public relations firm does. You hire them. Every time there's a piece for an op-ed in a newspaper, they contact you. Every time there's placement in, in news, media, radio, TV, somebody to represent the vapor industry, that's what a PR firm does. Ironically enough, you have to vet them just like you vet a lobbyist. 
you have to interview him just like you interview a lobbyist to make sure that you're comfortable with him. So this is just a little piece of advice. Uh, I see where Tess, Tess is asking where does the money come. It comes from the state association, and that's what the vendors pay into. That's why there's fees and dues to be part of the association. I mean, if we can, ha- if we can operate here with a $70,000, $80,000 budget in Tennessee for the year, states like New York and California can kiss my ass. Okay? Plain and simple. If you can't raise a quarter of a million dollars a year for a lobbyist and a PR firm, you don't need to be in business. Sorry. You might not like it, but God damn it, you know I'm right. So anyway, back to my point on PR firms. I'm getting a little bit fired up. I'm getting a little bit fired up. I have a glass of water. Don't fire me up, Tess. It's too early in the show. So I got on Google, and I found a couple of PR firms. And the first one that I picked, I just sent an email. Her name is Robin. Uh, it looks like a big. It looks like a big PR firm. Um, so I sent her a very detailed email message. Website tnsmokefree.org. This is what we do: tobacco harm reduction. Blah blah blah. She apparently didn't read any of it. She just saw dollar signs and called me. Right. So Robin picks up the phone and says, "Hey, Dimitri, thank you so much for your email. You know the classic, you know, <clears throat> fake uh, introduction." So I said, "Oh, th- hey, Robin, how you doing?" I said, "Before we get started, Robin, uh, tell me what do you know about electronic cigarettes." So Robin starts to say, oh, yeah, those things are bad. Uh, we are contacted by physicians all the time to tell us how bad they are. It's sad. People think that they're doing something uh, safer, and it's actually it's worse than traditional cigarettes. So <laughs> at this point, I can feel my blood pressure just rising. So I, will, I, I said, hold on, hold on. I said, hold on a second, Robin. Hold on. Uh, I said, uh, thank you very much. Click. And I just, I just hanged up the phone on her. It was, it was, it was the most funniest thing ever. So what I decided to do is contact our lobbyist in uh, Nashville, uh, their firm, and, I, and to, for our lobbyist to suggest a PR firm. So my, my, uh, the lobbyist assistant, Erica, replies to me. She says, well, you know, we work with a couple of, you know, a little bit more expensive firms here in Nashville, but there's also one firm in Chattanooga, and you should contact this chick named Robin, and she'll help you out. <laughs> so I was like, hey, hold on a second, Erica. I said, I called Robin, and this is what she said. Now, Erica is our lobbyist. She is freaking out. She's like, I cannot believe this. She says, my boyfriend started using electronic cigarettes a month ago. My asthma is getting better because he doesn't, you know, use smoke around me. He's down to like a pack a month uh, from a pack a day. And hopefully by the end of the month, she's going to be completely smoke-free. And he, she says, I'm going to call her in school. Or I said, thank God, because I'm going to call her and bitch her out if I'm going to call her. So anyway, so we're in the process now of vetting a lobby firm that can represent us here in Tennessee. We're going, you know, lightly $25,000, $30,000 a year to see what that's going to get us. And hopefully as more members uh, join the TSFA, we'll be able to increase that number. I think that the money spent on lobbying and PR firms should be about the same. And we pay about fifty to 60000 a year to have a lobby representation year-round here with the Tennessee Smoke Free Association. And, uh, and we should spend about the same for a PR firm. That's a good balance. And I think, to me, it's extremely important seeing what's happening in other states that, that, we, that we have this. Why, right? Why? I mean, have you seen the news, what's going on with these pieces? Have you seen doctors that claim they're medical doctors making statements on electronic cigarettes without any facts, any evidence, and just fucking blatantly lying on, on, on news media? And smokers are listening to this, and, and, and they're, being, they're being deterred from trying a less harmful alternative. This piece I'm going to play to you here, this happened in Mississippi of all states. This is the NPR down in Mississippi. Uh, I want to just play this first 
person uh, the, the person that's on here by the way is Dr. Thomas Payne. He's a shill, he's a douchebag from the University of uh, Mississippi Medical Center, but just listen to what this doc I mean the stuff that he says just makes you as a vapor just want to rip your clothes like Hulk and just attack him. Listen to this. Electronic cigarettes are increasingly popular among teens in Mississippi and across the country. A new study funded by the National Cancer Institute has found that vaping could jumpstart the use of real cigarettes. E-cigarettes deliver nicotine slower than traditional cigarettes. Some believe that they're a safer alternative to the real thing. According to Dr. Thomas Payne of the University of Mississippi Medical Center, that idea is debatable. Payne says lower nicotine levels will build a tolerance, allowing room for advancement to smoke tobacco. He spoke with MPB's Maura Mode. E-cigarettes are changing pretty rapidly, actually. Uh, they started off just uh, just uh, three or four years ago, the type that sort of looked like a cigarette. False. Okay. That's lie number one. They didn't start three or four years ago. They started in 2006. Actually, they were invented in 2000. Uh, not, not invented. I shouldn't say that. But Chinese, Hong Ling put them out in 2003. They started coming here in the United States in 2005, 2006, in the form that he's talking about. So right off the bat, in his first sentence, he lies, right? Like this is, he's Dr. Payne. He knows everything about E6. And produced very, very low levels of nicotine. Um, and those, while they were of concern, really didn't seem to be capable of addicting folks too much. But over- Lie. <laughs> lie first of all producing low levels of nicotine <laughs> electronic cigarettes when they came out had 36 46 even 56 milligram in this in the six his complete complete lies from dr pain <laughs> in fact electronic cigarettes now have less nicotine in them uh if you go by every freaking vape shop that's out there was zero three and six but <laughs> but what his statement again that e-cigarettes produce lower nicotine back then is completely false completely false for the course of the next couple of years what we've seen is that um the the nicotine delivery of these systems has increased dramatically and so so given the greater acceptability of vaping devices in our society and the higher dose of drug that's being delivered they are now more in the range of delivering a dose that would make it, you know, something that a kid would more likely try and become addicted to. Also, because there's a general notion out there that e-cigarettes and other vaping devices are safer than cigarettes, which is debatable, and even some people who believe they're completely safe, people, in, and it's particularly, you know, adolescents and stuff, are much more likely to try them. Whereas, you know, for cigarettes, the message is kind of getting out there and people know they're dangerous. Uh, it's a very mixed message on e-cigarettes. So between that greater acceptability of the product and the increasing dosage of nicotine, it makes perfect sense that we're starting to see kids who become kind of hooked on, on nicotine and then move on to products that can, that can produce an even higher hit and complete that process for them. So let me get this straight. What he is claiming here is that e-cigs through the evolution of the last seven, eight years, have become worse in delivering nicotine, even though I just told you we did a study that shows they're better than the cardamizers from 2007, right? So he's claiming that e-cigs do not produce enough nicotine now, so kids are picking up e-cigs with low nicotine, and then they don't get enough nicotine through e-cigs, and they they transition to combustible cigarettes to get more nicotine. 
have you heard of anything more ludicrous? I mean, I've heard a lot of bad stuff from both sides of the field, I might add. But it makes no sense at all what he's trying to say. It's 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 uh, it's it's crazy, but it gets better. It gets better. Hold on. Uh, there's some arguments, especially with those who actually own vape shops or um, really promote the use of the vape pens and everything. So their thing is, hey. These things aren't a gateway. Um, you can choose which nicotine level, and they even offer some that have no nicotine in them at all. So, right. um, you know, that's kind of where their argument is standing. So they're trying to figure out how can something that is pretty much left up to the user's discretion, I guess, going to make somebody veer in that direction to get that uh, strong nicotine from a real cigarette. So how does anybody ever get addicted to opiates, cocaine, or anything else? Did he just go there? Did he just go there? Did he really just transition from electronic cigarettes to cocaine? Really? People try it initially for the curiosity, but then a certain percent of the population will start to form a, you know, it will become a more dependence-producing process. The point that you start to become addicted you don't select no, low, uh, low nicotine level products anymore. You move on. I mean, we see this in tobacco all, all the time and smokeless tobacco. People start with the lower nicotine brands and then graduate up to higher doses because if their bodies efficiently process nicotine, they are going to want higher doses that give them to become more tolerant of the lower uh, dosing. They will move on to things that will continue to give them the same effect that the lower doses were able to give them. Up. Right, I've, I've had enough. I can't. I can't. I've, I've listened to this twice today, and and it's it it doesn't get any better. It just gets worse and worse every time I hear it. But tell me one vapor that you have met in the wild, or in vape shops, or in forums, anywhere that you associate yourself, especially us, the passionate community. Tell me one vapor that t- came to you and said, "Hey, man, you know, I started with eighteen milligram nicotine. Well, that shit was not cutting it. I'm going to thirty six. <laughs> who who has ever who has ever said that?" Uh, it, it's completely ridiculous, and that's again my point was to prove that we do need a PR firm. Um, we need, we do need a PR firm. PR firms work in, in in strange ways. They 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 have these contacts and newspapers and news outlets. So if a story pops up, you know they represent a client. Oh, e-cigs. They talk to the director or the producer or the editor, and they say, "Hey, you know, we got this." Uh, that we represent this client, and we'd be able to get a piece in there, at least a positive, or at least somebody to debate this guy who is going one to one with a completely idiotic reporter, <laughs> right? That that's basically handing him on the platter of the pig, and he's just slaughtering it, right? So that's the that's the that's a PR firm, and what they would do if uh, if, for example, we had Greg on there debating him, he would have crushed him. Uh, nothing that this doctor has presented in this NPR piece uh, is actual evidence or factual or scientifically proven. There you go. That pretty much covers everything that he said, right? <laughs> uh, lastly, before I bring on my guests on, um, I want to talk about what, what, what Pamela focused a little bit on during our conference was, how do we reach out to these legislators? Now, we, got, we got the lobbying report from, from our lobbyists here in Tennessee uh, to kind of outline what we're looking for this year, who's going to be bringing some bills, but also was really important in this. A lobbyist works year-round. A lobbyist does not work dur- during the session. So in the off season, when they're invited to these fundraisers, when they're out playing golf or, you know, whatever they are in the bar, wherever they go drinking, uh, when they're having that great cigar in the backyard of, of somebody's house, 
That's where most of the lobbying happens. And the lobbyists are able, through their conversations, to find out who is friendly to the vape industry and who's not. And we were able to, to, to get that from our lobbyists and pick three or four names, including a very, very a big name in, in the Capitol in Nashville that is against the vape industry. So it's a good way of us knowing of who we have to work on. I mean, here in, in, in Chattanooga, I know Mike Carter, our legislator here, I'm confident that, that he would support us. We, you know, he's, he's come out to the businesses. He knows what we're about. Um, to, to me, we don't really need to focus on them that much. But the other people that we need to work on, the ones that are not educated, the ones that we have to reach out, invite them to our businesses, tell us, tell them what vaping's about, show them the economic impact, show them the voters. Those are the ones that we need to talk to. And that's what Pamela brought up. Do a little research before you meet with your politician, right? Do a little Google search on them. A lot of their information is public knowledge. So if he is a Gators fan... Don't, you know, walk up wearing a Tennessee Vols fan uh, shirt. I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple, right? You would never think, to, you know, to, to go that route. Try to find stuff that you have in common with. You know, if he's a big hockey fan, you know, just start a conversation with a hockey player or something. Uh, there are people, too. They have families. They have kids in school. They're dealing with issues. They're just like us, uh, only, you know, a little bit more uh, dirty and and politicians but they're just like normal people so it's good to have that you know know ahead what your audience is going to be you have somebody that is you know more towards the tea party uh you know focus yourself more towards the tea party if you have a politician and you look at his campaign donations in the last 20 years and you see that big tobacco has given him a lot of money don't go up to him and you say i want to crush big tobacco because even though you know he might publicly not like big tobacco i guarantee you he likes the money he's been taking for the last 20 years so you don't want to tell him that you want to crush big tobacco you want to tell him listen big tobacco has products on the market we want to be able to have products on the market as well too we want to be competitive with them we don't want to be washed away with legislation and let let them be the only players so there's a certain way of approaching your politicians with a little bit of background work and one more important point that i learned this past saturday which i didn't know also look into the spouse right Look into the spouse because a lot of these ladies, uh, first politician ladies uh, in, in the various states, they might be associated because, you know, what they have going with them, usually they get involved in nonprofits, right? So if a senator's wife is the chair of the American Lung Association fundraiser, I guarantee you he will not piss off his wife and his happily marital status for your vape industry. <laughs> so you have to do extensive work, extensive work to be able to make sure you're prepared, prepared. Uh, last tip that I want to bring you up is when you arrange a meeting, generally if you can't get them to come to you and you have to go to them, keep in mind these people are busy. So you have, you know, anywhere from three to 10 minutes to sit down and talk before the next person that goes in has to blow their mind with what they want to do. So always know in advance to get to your point quick. Don't mumble. Don't skip various topics. Get straight to the point. Usually economic voter impact is should be the key if you're a business uh, in the state. Uh, obviously, the health effects into your family if you're just a vapor, just a consumer. But make sure that you get it within the three, four minutes. Get your point across within the th first three, four minutes because you never know. Mid-conversation while you're trying to get to your point, when Stafford walks in and says, hey, we got to go, we've got a meeting on the hill, or we've got somewhere to go. So try to get everything there in the first three, four minutes. So that's what I learned. 
this past Saturday, and I wanted to relay that same information to you, my audience, just in case you get into position. And trust me, if you're in the vaping industry, you will be in that position if you're not already to speak to your legislators. Let me go ahead and bring my guests in. Call this guy up. Call this guy up. Uh, can you mute your radio, please, sir? This is a radio program. What do you think this is? I'm sorry. I'm very new to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, joining me first is Mr. Jay DeLuca from Hinham Hills. Did I say H- that correct? No. <laughs> it's, my, it's my Greek H- accent. <laughs> Hingham Hill. Hingham Hill. Hingham Hill. Fine. That's okay, because I call you Demetrius Agrafawawa. <laughs> you did. You did. Agrafawawa. <laughs> also known as Upstomp from the Quest Network. And. No, no I'm not on I haven't been on Quest in a year. Why? Where, you been in, where are you now? I have my own network, the New England Vapors Network. Oh, shit. I was not we can prepared. talk about that later. I was not prepared for that. Uh, also joining me from Inside Vaping on Tuesday nights. You might know him. Good evening. Uncle Dagger. I already muted my line. Did you? Oh, see, you see that, Jay? That is a prepared gentleman right there. That's because he was second. You should go into Inside Vaping. They, they know how to do audio better. Two scolding me, and, uh, and he muted his show. So uh, I have been I've been uh, talking uh, various subjects today, but the PR firm. I just want to get quickly before we get into some some ranting and raving. The PR firm. What I've seen is, and, and this was confirmed by the professionals that I associate myself with, that a PR firm is extremely important. And I think that the PR firms have been used in other states to bring on the bad news, and we're missing our side of the story. Who wants to jump in first? Don't 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 fight! Don't fight! I, I heard a bunch of words. I wasn't. I'm not quite sure where you're going with that. Uh, my, my question is, what do you think? I mean, is, is, it, is a PR firm just as important as a lobbying firm right now? I mean, I t- in, my, I, in my opinion, it is. But uh, do we really need some more positive PR? I, I suppose it depends on the current situation. If, you, if your focus is local, it might not be, depending on what's going on in the news in, mm-hmm. in, in your region. Um, you know, what we're doing here in Massachusetts is, Right now, we're focusing on lobbying, which in essence is PR for government, right? Sure. Um, now, eventually, you know, our second step is going to be hiring a PR firm, absolutely, because we anticipate that government officials and, you know, public health folks and, you know, the alphabet groups are all going to end up attacking us in the, in the news. Um, so, yeah, that's absolutely essential. Um, whether that should happen before a lobbyist or not, I think completely depends on your situation. Sure, I agree with that. James, uh, you've noticed, especially lately with the various states, I mean, just bad story after bad story, uh, bad, uh, non-providing, uh, providing no scientific evidence for these stories that are coming out. I mean, how can you miss it? Yeah, I mean, the stories are prevalent. My, my issue with the whole PR firm thing is I, I think it's just a matter of time. And I've looked at... The things that happened on, in Australia, the things that happened in Norway uh, with uh, both smokeless and combustible products being uh, put behind locked cases mm-hmm. uh, and the display label changes that they underwent. And I can only think, judging from those articles, what was the one thing they always stressed? The appeal to youth. That was one of the big things that they stressed as a reason to have things behind a locked blank case. Uh, so really, I mean, I think the writing's on the wall unless we can have some kind of paradigm shift here. Um, I don't know how much of a difference a PR firm could make. I mean, 
I don't know. Hey, maybe maybe you're more optimistic than I am. I, I don't think I'm that. I don't think it's, it's not like I'm optimistic. Again, I'm always you know when, when I'm thinking about you know the way that we promote tobacco harm reduction, I try to look at the opposition. And right. what have those alphabet groups, as you said, which explain what an alphabet group is, just in case somebody's listening uh, doesn't get it, James? Yeah, I, I'm talking about American Heart Association, American Lung Association, American right. Cancer Society, right. uh, things like that. Right. So what I'm seeing is I'm looking at the opposition, what they're doing. And all of them have PR firms. And that's how they're able to get their message out and get it so quickly. And obviously the power that they that – they, uh, where behind those alphabet groups it has a lot to do with it. But if it was just a group itself without a public relations firm, they wouldn't be able to get it out so quickly and efficiently and, and definitely have the reach that they have right now. Absolutely. But it, again, it, it depends on the fight that you're currently fighting. At the federal level, I guess it's debatable You know what would be – what would be more powerful at this I point? I don't think we can afford it at a federal level yet. <laughs> I mean, right, right. So we have yeah. to look at things locally. And if we're looking at things locally, then we have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Um, if, if, if you're currently fighting horrible news stories locally or statewide, then a PR firm might be a better route to take short term. You're still going to need the lobbyist, but the PR firm might be the right route. If you're in our situation in Massachusetts where everything's kind of still happening in backroom deals, uh, there aren't a, a ton of news stories out there, you know, you might want to start with the lobbyist, you know, try to try to kill it at the roots instead of killing it at the leaves. You going well, the, the news stories are going to be filled this weekend, I guarantee you, after this thing drops. They, over there. they absolutely <laughs> could be. It will be bad after this thing drops, which, by the way, if you don't know, Jay is involved in the uh, Massachusetts Smoke Free Association, and they're anticipating. You're anticipating something tomorrow from the Attorney General, correct? Uh, we are. We are. They're they're going to drop the ball or drop the bomb, so to speak. <laughs> uh, they're going to release their regulations on vaping products uh, tomorrow. Uh, well, they're they're going to release it to us tomorrow. They'll release it to the public on Friday. Yeah. Um, what they're going to be, we're not sure. We have an idea because we've been in discussions with them, you know, all along, you know, since May when they first uh, when they first started this process. Mm-hmm. The, and the problem is that I think the major issue that we have with these is what they'll what it, what we think will happen is they'll result in a de facto online ban, at least short term. Um, will no longer to be able to sample e-liquids statewide so you won't be able to walk into a vape shop and just sample for free uh which is a it's it's that's always been an essential part of the brick and mortar industry sure. right um and no giveaways yeah well that's so so vape meats are gone uh and 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 it could also result in a workplace ban which you know no vaping in vape shops no vape meats all that kind of stuff. So that's those are the potential things that we're going to be looking at uh, when when the bomb drops. I'm sure we're going to get more information tomorrow, but please stay stay tuned and see what happens in your state there. James, I mean, you, you've seen – again, I'm, we're going to get to the topic at hand. I just want to discuss this with, with you because I know through the work that you do with Inside Vaping and the, and the rest of the crew there that this is something that you've brought up in the past. You saw Staten Glass just this past week cite that study, that horrible study that they're taking and, and changing the, the wording around saying that teens uh, that use electronic cigarettes are transitioning to smoking. Yeah. So yeah. – uh, and, and then we see p- – p- 
there's no conclusive evidence through that study. It was 16 of the 700 people that were, that were studied were the teens that used the e-cigs. There's nothing conclusive that you get out of it. There's so many flaws in that study that is out there. However, our voice is not being heard on this. The only thing that we see is, hey, e-cigs tempt teens to smoke. That is the headline of it. And it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, and I guess to your point, I do see where a PR firm would be valuable in a situation like that. Um, the unfortunate thing is we see the same regurgitated numbers from the CDC, mm-hmm. the same regurgitated reports uh, dealing with formaldehyde, the appeal to teens, everything else. Uh, to us, that's all old news. But to, to the uninitiated, there's still a lot of people that don't understand it. I, I dealt with it this last weekend at a bar i was sitting outside and i was using a vape because i'm in i'm in indianapolis and now in indianapolis proper of course you can't vape inside uh so i'm out there with the smokers and somebody said that thing is worse for you than one of these the cigarette he was smoking so the public perception of e-cigs and i'm sure you saw this article as well dimitri over in the uk the perception is that e-cigs are safer now um, and it was the reverse a couple of years ago. Over here, now the perception is that they're more harmful than regular combustible smoking. At least quite a few people weigh in with that opinion. So, yeah, I mean, we have a PR problem as an industry, as a market segment. What? The, let me play this clip really. It's a very, very short clip. Listen to this. CBS Sports Radio brings you the best in national sports. Did you really have to play an ad right there for me? Really? Jim Rondheke, Doug Gottlieb, Joe Rosano. Analysis debate. I kind of feel like the New England uh, vaping network now. First study to find a potential causal relationship between electronic and traditional cigarettes. A national sample of young people, including those older than 18. These are people who say, I would never smoke a cigarette. Lead author, Dr. Brian Primack. Of the e-cigarette users, 38% by a year later were smoking cigarettes. But of the non-e-cigarette users, only 10% were smoking regular cigarettes. The FDA is considering how to regulate e-cigs, which are easier to buy and, in Primax view, more attractive to young people than traditional. Shut up. All right. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And it's funny that you brought up the U.K. because I believe as a business, a a light bulb just just came on to me this week. I have several friends in the UK that are business owners, e-liquid manufacturers, and distributors. I deal with one of them on an almost weekly basis. There, We had a phone conversation the other day, and he said, you will not believe the influx of business we've had in the last two, three weeks since the Public Health England article came out. Because what it did is it gave confidence to the smokers to try electronic cigarettes. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, imagine if we had that same kind of a PR here in the United States that would push out positive, pump out positive stories, uh, whether they're consumer uh, you know, testimonies, whether it's these studies that are coming out day after day that are proving these things are less harmful. It would boost the economy and the vaping industry revenue by spending a little bit on this PR firm and getting these stories out there to give confidence to the fear-mongered smokers that are not trying e because they think it's more harmful. Do we know why why this organization released this press release? Do do we know like the driving factor behind it? Absolutely. Was- this is definitely with a, has directly with the California legislation right now. 
There's no doubt in my mind. Especially, it, it, Stanton Glantz was all over this. I mean, his university out there in California gets tons of grants from the FDA. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I can't. I don't know if I can. I don't know if there's a way for me to prove it. But there's no doubt in my mind with this bill that's tra- trying to make its way through through California legislation now defining vapor products as tobacco. Uh, there's there's there got to be a connection with it. There's another piece. Oh, then the legislators look at this and are like, oh yeah, we're doing the right thing. We're classifying this as tobacco because it's leading kids to smoke cigarettes, which makes no sense, by the way. I mean, who would want to take your delicious crunch berries and then? Vape it for a month and a half, and then take an ashtray and put it in their mouth. Makes no sense at all to me. I mean, it's like, you know, tasting chocolate and deciding you want to eat elephant shit. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> Have you done that, by the way? So, um, but, but from a business standpoint, it makes more sense for the business owners to do that and, and, and pay for that PR firm because it's only going to increase their sales. So to me, having that public health England makes such a significant shift in their business and upswing in their sales goes to show that this is what people want. People want to be assured that this product is less harmful. And we know, and here in the United States, nothing about public health England. We didn't even, it wasn't covered in the media at all. Versus- and, that, and that's actually what I was asking about, was was what what actually drove public health England to make this statement? I'm sure was there was some totally the- wicked money behind it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's guess, that's my point. Yeah. Is obviously there was there was some shenanigans in the in in the in a back room at some point that made them realize, hey, maybe we can all win here. Um, otherwise, I don't I don't see a national agency, a national government agency of any sort coming in favor of vaping. It's Absolutely. too disruptive of a technology. If we can find out what changed their minds, we can we can figure out how to model that change of heart over here. I think it's PR. I really do. James, um, we're seeing $50,000 in cloud competition money. <laughs> Which, I, I can't believe I even said that, to be honest. It came out of my mouth. I mean, can you imagine if we had 10 of those competitions a year and take that money, half a million dollars, and put it into a PR firm? I mean, we could move mountains. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, th- that's the thing. There's there's vendors that are ponying up the cash for cloud comps. So obviously it's good for business to get all the people there, get people interested in the product, et cetera. So I, don't, I, I guess I really don't understand it. Again, I'm not a business owner, so I can't speak to, um, you know, how much how much they have available to uh, toss at a PR firm, but considering that it's somebody that would be protecting their best interests and and trying to fight misconceptions, I would think that would be high on their radar. And increase sales at the end of the day. I mean, if it's going to oh, yeah. drive more people to try the product, it's going to increase the sales. And not only is it going to increase the sales, it's going to increase sales to customers that are going to be loyal to you versus the advanced user that kind of shops around now. Uh, you, you're going to get more of these people, the beginner vapors that are very passionate and loyal to the people that help them quit smoking. I don't know. Just a thought. All right. We're going to try it here in Tennessee, and I'll let you know how it goes. How about that? You know, a lot of people talk about how, you know, the vaping industry has been poo-pooed as not really being an industry, despite the fact that we've uh, accounted for such a large uh, segment of the, well, I mean, look at the growth that we've seen. But at the same time, our opponents, Big Tobacco, they have PR firms, but we don't, which is very strange. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is strange. It is strange. I, I, I'm hoping for the best, though. I'm hoping that things will, will, will turn around, especially now that we're seeing state by state, uh, you know, it's, they're falling. There's no doubt about it. I think part of the problem is because we're dealing with a ton of small business who have no yeah. 
they have no strategic knowledge of, of how to run a business. They're, they're strictly fixed on, on the, um, the, the, the short term, the short term returns. Right. Sure. A lot of these businesses that I've been talking to, a lot of these vendors that I'm talking to, sure, they talk a big game about uh, about advocacy, about, you know, funneling money to a lobbyist or a PR firm or, or what have you. But during their operational day to day activities, all they're concerned with is making as much money as they can before the band hammer drops. That's it. Yeah, I think that you're right that there's a lot of them out there like that. And I think that there's a lot of them out there that simply believe that the spigot is never going to end i truly believe that they think vaping is so big that it can't be shut down i don't know i've i've had shops you know very smart people who run shops and are very successful i've had them pretty much flat out tell me i'm just gonna go crazy and make as much money as i can until it all dries up that's it yeah yeah, I've heard that too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've heard and that I, too. I, I've heard that well as well, but I think that's because they are in fear of the post-regulatory world uh, and, and how they would have to adapt and change, and a lot of them thinking they don't have the money to do that. And obviously, you know, you see the posts on Facebook all the time, uh, you know, big new sports cars, power boats, all that stuff. Yep. So um, there's money coming in. <laughs> There's a, there's a ton of money, but it's all being yeah. in, in, in marketing at this point, right? Which is great if you work if, if you're working in a non antagonistic industry. But we are not in a non antagonistic industry. You know, if we were if we were selling you know shaving soap, it wouldn't be so much of a problem. Yeah. Um, but we're not. You know, we're selling we're selling nicotine essentially. Well, so that's a good segue. <laughs> Coming into our next uh, next topic, which obviously is going to be labeling, and uh, and I know uh, uh, James, with you, I'm kind of you know beating a dead horse because I know how you feel strongly about this, mm-hmm. uh, but it, I, I, I'm never f- it never fails to amaze me. Like I'll see a label and I'm like, oh my god, I have seen it all, and then I wake <laughs> up the next day and I'm amazed on how somebody can top that <laughs> with something <laughs> something so outrageous. Um, be- let me put this question out, okay? Let me put this question out first. I think we're seeing a lot now lately of, oh, this company had this label, and then they changed, and then this label, this company gets the praise, right? So my my first question is, has that become a marketing scheme? Has somebody... Yeah, is that is that a, is that a deliberate tactic? Yes, yes. That is my question. So how about it? I guess I, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Um, you remember uh, who was it? The um, the Sour Batch folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do do we know who they are now? Like since they decided to change their name, does anybody does anybody in the room know who they are? Uh, I know who they are, but that's because I see everything. Change their branding. Yeah. I, I'm just I, I'm honestly curious to know whether or not that tactic uh, was successful. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. It might be a way of just riding that wave for about six months uh, and making those two million, three million bottle sales and then just moving on to the next thing. Yeah, maybe. Um, James, I mean, I think that I've, I've talked to a vendor personally that told me that nobody knew who I was. I've been making liquid for two years until I put this label on my bottle and now I'm the hottest thing on Instagram. And now I'm changing yeah. my label. I mean, uh, kudos to him. I, 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 I'm, I'm proud of the fact that he was honest to, with me. 
But is that just a marketing tactic now? We're going to do something so shocking. It's going to create so much buzz. Is that what I need to do? Is that what I need? Yes. To- you need to put pictures <laughs> I've been of making me e-liquid. and Phil Bussardo in a Speedo on wrong. your bottle. I've been doing it since 2010, but apparently I've been doing it wrong. I have to put a picture of a baby, you know, <laughs> sucking on. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, I got this bright idea if you want to use it. You can go ahead and use it, Jay. I will not sue you for it. All right. I got an idea for an e-liquid line. Okay. Gerber's baby e-juice. Okay. Your first flavor is going to be a high VG peas and carrots. You've been. <laughs> you know who said that one, right? Been watching Stanley the Vikings YouTube channel. No, I thought that was uh, I thought that was Rodney that said that from Chicago when I saw him up in Indiana. But anyway, he was going to release. Sounds like Rod. Line. <laughs> He was going to release an e-liquid line called Vapes Are For Kids, but they weren't being marketed to children because they were only going to be offered at maternity stores and halfway houses. <laughs> By the way, I want royalty checks from RGR because I am introducing a new customer base. I'm going to start them young. <laughs> I'm going to have pacifiers, you know, a swag that goes with it. Anyway, so James, back to my question. So what do you think, James? I mean, is this a, just a marketing tactic? And are we giving praise to them is is the praise that we're giving to him really worthwhile? I mean, are we, or should we not be doing that? I I don't personally. I don't think it should be lauded. I mean, they made a change that was necessary in my viewpoint. Um, as far as marketing, it doesn't work for me because we discussed this before um, you called me. I mean, I, I've got the memory of an elephant. I, I I do not forget things like that especially when you consider the precarious situation we're in right now. Um, it, it, it's unacceptable, and, of course, we're getting back to that beating the dead horse. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess it is a viable strategy if you're trying to generate buzz. It's just it seems like there's so many other better ways to do it. What happened to your e-liquid standing on the merit of its, you know, its flavor and its Right. It's uh, you know that's, that's long gone. That's is long. that too old fashioned? Jay? It has I to mean, be. <laughs> it has to be old fashioned because I remember when when uh, when us, including both of you, when we started vaping. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. remember the liquids back then? I mean, the bottles and, oh, and yeah. the labels. The the labels were they were Avery labels. People were writing handwriting. <laughs> yes. You know, things on them. It, it was it was all oh. literally you you could not make a dent unless what was in that bottle really broke some ground. But and then if you were really fancy, Jay, you'd have a brother P-Touch and you could print out your label. <laughs> but even when, when, when mainstream became more, uh, excuse me, when vaping did become more mainstream and that transition to the brick and mortar store, I think we still saw, you know, labeling be more mild and more proper for the product. And then obviously, you know, the whole, the whole hype that came with, with a fancy label um, created that premium market. Yeah, with the yeah. labeling, it was there were many evolutionary steps along the way over the last couple of years, and frankly, I was glad to see it. You know, it, it kind of it pushed us to become a little more professional, yeah. but then it just kind of took a wrong turn. You know, about a year and a half, two years ago, and and just started getting absolutely insane. I mean, once once everybody could buy a professional label printer for two thousand dollars, you know, the sky was the limit. Do you think that that defined um, that did that define premium? And that was part of was it. That the, the switch of it. The labeling was certainly part of it. Uh, the switch to glass, I think, drove you know helped to drive some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of it was just 
trying to be cutting edge, trying to be bad boys. You know, you had a lot of small small business owners who were, you know, frankly, a little on on the younger side. You know, the three of us are, you know, we were a little more mature. We were a little grumpier. Mm, um, no. <laughs> Use that term loosely around me and James. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, if we were in our 20 to 20, if we were in the 20 to 30 range and we were in the same situation, we might do the same thing. We might try to be a little racy. So you, you know? think it is a generational thing? I absolutely think it's a generational thing. Actually, I, I put money on the fact. It's a generational thing for the most part. So it's it's geared towards more a younger crowd, right? Yeah, and by younger I don't mean fifteen year olds. By younger I mean the twenty to thirty uh, section of vapors who, yeah. who most likely gotten into it in the past, you know, two years or so. Versus you know us old fogies who have been vaping for four or five years. Sure. Um, See, and this is ahead. this is the criteria that I use. If, let's say, I'm a vapor and I, I can't afford my e-liquid and for Christmas I want my parents to buy me e-liquid and my favorite e-liquid is Perky Titties by whatever company. I mean, if, if I'm embarrassed to name the e-liquid, then <laughs> there's a problem. I mean, I, I, that's the way I look at I it. Think I think there is a Perky Titties on the market. Is an e-liquid? <laughs> I think there is a Perky Titties on the, on the I market. I do want Perky Titties for if Christmas. If not, I'm sure within own. the next 24 hours we'll see it. I remember the whole uh, the whole panty dropper extravaganza. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. I know that Perky Titties was any like <laughs> So uh, uh, I'm, I'm still surprised because we know at this point there should be no doubt that there's a problem with labeling. Right there, there, there yeah. there's a big concern from the FDA. I think we've proven it. All the manufacturers. There, there are many levels of problems with labeling, uh, and 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 it's not just the whole you know the whole marketing to children you know PR issue right. that we're having. Right. Um, no, there's, but, a, there's obviously the FDA dropped a, 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 a comment period on labeling. I mean that it's something that we talked about last year that I believe that is the number one concern that the FDA has right now. Not only with the child marketing or, or perceived child marketing or, the, or these labelings, but also the, the information that is displayed on them because it is a nicotine product. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the best thing we can hope for is that we get a seat at the table to discuss, uh, you know, how, what the compromise is, you know, what the, what the warning should be, um, you know, because we don't, we don't want these labels to become, you know, just black and white, more warning than branding. Sure. Yeah, you know, just just to speak on that point, this this is my fear because a lot of the labels that we've seen, they're the ones that pe people could say those are targeted for children or to children. Um, I linked a picture in chat there. Okay, those are boxes from uh, combustible cigarettes in Australia, mm -hmm. and there's the display. And I know this seems extreme. The reason that I'm I'm bringing these up is because. Um, one of the things that they pushed very heavily when they were pushing for new labeling and for uh, different packaging at point of sales is the fact that these products appeal to youth. And if we keep them out of sight and we make the, uh, the packaging very unattractive, it diminishes the, the number of youths that look for it. But now, um, now packaging is going to be attractive to emos. Yeah. <laughs> 
kind of dark. <laughs> that is kind of dark. But I did get your point, uh, James, because that is the truth. You don't want to make the product so unattractive and point proven with Nicorette. Exactly. And I think I think that we can find some common ground here. And again, I think that's where the generation problem, you know, that's where we're running into the generation problem. Because when we were 20, 30 years old, we were still pretty damn rebellious, right? Am I right? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Absolutely. And that's what we're experiencing. We're seeing two different generations of vapors with a completely different attitude. My branding has always been adult geared. You know, I, I, my branding is based on the American whiskey, whiskey culture. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're seeing a younger generation that, you know, they want to, they're not marketing to children. We all know this. They're not intentionally marketing to children. But they are trying to capture, you know, a, a certain vibe that will take people back to their youth because mm -hmm. a lot of those flavors, quite frankly, are easy to produce. Sure. They're, they're easier to reproduce. It, you know, all these cereal flavors. There are so many flavoring manufacturers that are creating cereal flavorings now. Sure. It's so easy to come up with a cereal line. Sure. So, so, so what we have to find is what you said, James, we don't want to make the product too unattractive. Right, right. But we don't want to have a the product medium. to be too. Yeah, we, with that happy medium. What as an industry have we done though to create that? What have the e-liquid manufacturers and Jay, you're one. You can speak up if you want as well too. Where have we come with a you know a, a medium, a standard, or something that we can go out? Keep dropping my device. A standard that we can go by to kind of base it off. Because all we're saying is no, we're not marketing to kids. No, we're not. Even though we know it's a problem, right? We know it's a problem. But it's a PR problem. Sure. And, that, and that's, I think, where the disconnect between the generations happens is that we criticize them, not because we think we're, they're marketing to children, but because it's a PR issue. And, and the way that they take it is, I'm not marketing to children, you know, screw those guys. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. You know, they, they, don't want, they don't want to think pragmatically about the issue. Right. Um, but as far as the specifics on, you know, yeah, certainly we want warnings. We want childproof. We want, uh, you know, ingredient lists. We want batch numbers or born on dates, things like that. Uh, all those things are responsible things that could that can result in a responsible industry. Um, but the problem is, is with FDA regulation or any regu any government regulation, you're n you're never going to get exactly what you want. You know, they're always going to shoot for more. We're always going to shoot for, for less. No, but I still think that we need to be sitting at the table while this is being determined and not leave it strictly up to the FDA on how the labeling requirement goes through. Absolutely. Because look what's going to happen, like the TBD in, in, in the EU. We're talking about a 10-meal plastic bottle, which, you know, you, you, you can't put nothing on it, you know, for, for advertising or marketing of your product uh, on a restriction of a 10-meal bottle. Uh, not to count that the various warnings that you have to have on there with this colon cross, and which was, by the way, submitted in the comments by Stanton Glantz to, to the FDA. So if you haven't submitted a comment to the FDA, please go and do it because it's lacking horribly like the, like the first comment session. But we saw the comments from Stanton Glantz wanting to have a skull and crossbones and, you know, the various warnings that are on there. Some just, just, just over-the-top stuff. If the FDA comes back and says, well, this is what we have to go by, uh, everything that you've invested in marketing your product and branding your product will go away as well, too. Yeah. So, uh, again, I can't see how an industry, what we're doing to, I mean, obviously we can't self-regulate. I think that's been proven time and time and over again. I would disagree. I would disagree. Yes, it, 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 obviously it hasn't been perfect, but 
the the way that the community comes together and goes after people who are doing things incorrectly. I I think you know we should be lauded for, for that. I th- I think we've done a great job. It's not perfect because we're not catching people before they do it. That's where the the issue is. Bef- you know, if we could catch them before they actually release these brands. Mm-hmm we would be in a much better situation. Yeah, but you can't do that because, you know, if you're in a position where you have a public following and you do that, you get chastised. In fact, that was going to be my next question. I see vapors uh, and some people from the community that are posting, you know, look at this. You know, this, you know, what were these people thinking? And they get blasted. I mean, literally attacked for even yeah. posting that picture. I mean, a prime example was Russ. Uh, yes, and but that's a case. That's you're making my point. Yes, he did get blasted, but ultimately, what happened? They 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 changed the brand. They changed the brand. If we could have caught them before they did it, that's the rub. That if we can catch them before they actually release these these brands, I I, I don't think they're idiots. This is this is my thing. For one thing, I'm not convinced that this wasn't a hoax. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the other thing is, I just think if you do put out something like that, you're a complete moron. Um, <laughs> and and there's there's really no recourse. I mean, do we live in the same world as these people? Because obviously, we have not had regulation passed on us as an industry yet. Right. So <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I don't I, get it either. I, I and you're exactly it. right. And we keep bringing up, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a segment, um, not, not next week, but the week after that. I might invite you guys to come back as well too. Is like stuff that we use as as vaping community to um, uh, counter attack the accusations made against us, and and people bring up yeah. you know the alcohol example for you know Miss Zeller and the CTP does not regulate alcohol. To me, that's a moot point against them, and I think that every time we bring it up, it's not going to be something that we're going to be able to use as a tool to combat what we're trying to say. No, no, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not. So uh, when, when you hear Vapors, you know, replying underneath and saying, well, look at this cherry vodka or whatever, whatever vodka. I said, yeah, but we, we know it's there, but this is a regulated industry that's not being regulated by the CTP. <laughs> Plain and simple. The problem is, is when they make the arguments that we're there, that we're marketing to children, they're not making logical arguments. They're making emotional arguments. We're trying to fight that with a logical argument and it's not going to work. Yeah. They have more money. They have a louder voice. It's just not going to work. It, it, it's definitely not going to work. Do you think, James, that the minority of people that are bringing the attention to these stories are, are I'm not going to say winning the fight, but you think that their voice is being heard more so than the opposition that is kind of, you know, attacking these people that are bringing it up? I mean, what I saw with Russ and Vapor's Lounge the other day was just, you know, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I even got people messaging me. I was like, I, I mean... Just think about being in a, in, in a conference room or, or in, in, in a lab somewhere, or even in somebody's house that, 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 that makes e-liquid, and you're having a discussion with your buddy, and you're saying, you know, guess what? i got a great idea. I am going to take a box of crayons, <laughs> and I am going to make an e-liquid line out of it and put it in a box that looks like a child's crayon package. And, I mean, what is this buddy thinking? Oh, you're fucking brilliant. I mean, that is the best idea that I have heard. Even if it's a hoax, it's funny, all right? So yeah. it, it's... I just don't get <laughs> if, if that minority is making enough of a change now that that it is going to make a difference when the labeling requirement comes down for the FDA, which I think is going to come before the deeming regulations, by the way. I think that the labeling thing is going to come before the, 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 the final deeming rule, uh, so-called by the FDA. Well, that's if, if it does, that that could be the best thing for us, depending on what that regulation is. It could be absolutely be the best thing for us. 
because if it, if it's if it if it's articulated in a way that it eliminates this whole marketing to children bullshit, then that argument is removed from the table altogether nationwide. We always talk about all the you know the bad that we see out there. We never talk about the good because there's multiple. There's a lot of companies out there that have that have been in the industry for many years. That are very yeah. successful maintaining that, James. And I know you reviewed a lot of e-liquid. You've got a lot of e-liquid uh, over the past years uh, to take a look out. And I'm sure that within those, you have found some good product that does not use that market and still has been successful. So why them? Why don't we praise them? Why don't we? Why, why don't you see that be more of a hand check than versus the you know the two kind on the label or whatever it's called? I think that comes down to how we as a society react to things now. I mean, we, we get our news in bits and bytes. Just, I mean, you browse Facebook, you look at the Internet for news, and you get snippets. And most of the things that are promoted are things that are going to either, they're going to generate some kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, Joe Smith's, I'm, I'm just pulling a name out of the hat. I'm not talking about Nickwood. Or, um, uh, <laughs> what was flavors, it? Uh, flavors, flavors by Joe. Flavor, yeah. Flavors by Joe. But um, if, if you just look at that e-liquid line and the labels are very plain and there's nothing that really delineates it from the masses, uh, maybe you don't give it a second thought. So people are looking to grab attention. I get that. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I think this is something we're going to continue to battle. Uh, and it has to do with how we consume information. It has to do with, I mean, look at TMZ. Why is TMZ so successful? Because they sensationalize things. So how do you stand out as a vendor without compromising? I guess that is the question, right? Because we're talking about trying to make the labels so that they're not uh, appealing to youth. And, and again, when I say that, I'm, I'm, I mean... Uh, I know that as companies, these people aren't trying to appeal to youth, but we need to keep that perception, that public perception, that needs to be changed. It really, it really has. Do you think that maybe that a lot of these events that are going on as well to promote a lot of that? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting topic, Dimitri, because I was thinking about social media, period, mm-hmm. and the fact that there are different forms of social media that appeal more to youth than others. Uh, Facebook really isn't it for youths now. I mean, you you have to look at Instagram and uh, Snapchat, and there's sure. a couple others Periscope that now. are Periscope more appealing. Is big. Yeah, yeah, and you, you got your vines for vape tricks mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and you can't underestimate the influence of something like that because I got a nephew that just in passing knows that I vape, but he's never expressed any interest in it. And then one day he showed me his phone and he's like, hey, I want to do vape tricks like this. Can you get me a vape pen? (laughs) I mean, so, again, it came out of the blue. Obviously, he's never smoked. He's like, I think he's 10 years old now. Uh, So this is is somehow getting to them. And that's the part that I think a lot of times we, we, we want to overlook it or we want to minimize it. But the truth is what we need to do is is advertise responsibly. And I don't know I don't know how that can be done. I really don't. Well, part of the FDA dealing regulations, that. Uh, Jay, that we read, uh, speak on advertising. Now we have the free all. It's a free market. We're unregulated. There's no restrictions on advertising. And obviously that's why it's spreading so uh, like wildfire right now. Yeah. But among the FDA regulations, th- there is talk about, you know, banning advertising and the way that you can be able to promote your product. 
I mean, I see, you know, I try to follow the tobacco um, uh, industries and see what they're doing with Marlboro. If you look at a pack of Marlboro, you know, you have that distinct red, you know, white package. And, and when you look at it, you're like, ah, you know, whatever. But if you see the material, because they still send me coupons because they still miss me. If you see the coupons that they send, if you look within the coupons, there's extreme marketing with a cowboy and, you know, everything else that they're promoting amongst that. But you don't see it on a package. Is there some way right. that we can maybe retrain the industry to say, listen, ultimately your juice is going to speak your liquid. I shouldn't say juice because I get, I get chastised every time I say that by, by a few people. But <laughs> your liquid, your liquid, ultimately it's, it's the taste that it's going to have and when vapors try it out in a vape shop. Because they're going to walk in, they're going to go to a tester, they're not going to see the bottle. They're going to take the tester and if they like the e-liquid, then you're going to give them the bottle. So maybe we can retrain them to say, listen, the bottle is not that important as your marketing is. If you can put your marketing behind it and kind of, you know, be a little bit edgy on your marketing, but your labeling, which is our topic for tonight, your labeling should adhere to some better standards, um, so to speak, Jay? In theory, I agree with that. Um, I guess... Again, I'll fall back on my previous position. Regulation is never going to be exactly the way you want it. Um, yeah. it's, it's always it's always going to end up being <laughs> more restrictive, yeah. or you know, depending on your clout and how much money you have to give to politicians, it you know it could end up in your favor. Um, I again, I I don't know what the answer is here. I don't know what the answer is. If, if we are, you know, this this is a disruptive technology. This is a very disruptive industry. Are we going to hook an entire new generation of people on nicotine? Is that a good, bad, or neutral thing? You know, in the absence of combustion, you know, these are fundamental questions that we can't really answer here. Um, you know. If they completely shut us down as far as advertising, then, you know, we're probably going to end up drying up in the long run in favor of big tobacco. Um, if, if we See, I, 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 don't, I don't think that'll happen. Obviously, you know, post-regulation, you're going to end up with a, a much smaller group of e-liquid manufacturers. And I'm sure a lot of the existing brands will either resort to co-packing or something like that. Depending on if they have the money to go through an approval process. We're seeing that now. We're seeing a lot of consolidation, mm -hmm. from, you know, uh, sure. some channels and things like that. We're seeing a lot of that. Craft vendors are 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 slowly dying, mm -hmm. you know, as as a thing of of the e or of the e Is it a bad thing or a good thing though? Uh, well, if you ask if you ask me, I do I do not want to give up my, you know, my uh, autonomy to okay, anybody. Right. I got into this because I love making flavors. Mm -hmm. I love doing what I'm doing. If I all of a sudden hand all of that off to, you know, a major distribution channel, what's my job now? I get to sit there and do yeah. a case. You know, I, I, that's not what I got into this for. I didn't get into this for marketing. I got into this for the love of, of developing flavors. Right. That's what I got into this for. So it would be horrible for me. Right. Um, would it be a good thing maybe in the long run for, you know, as far as, sanitation and, and you know just quality of, of e-liquid as far as you know I don't know I don't, I, I don't know if the quality I'll, and I'll let you uh, chime in too James but I, for, for me personally I don't see that the lab setting is entirely needed for our category 
you know, following it, some good manufacturing practices and in, in a clean area to work and produce your product that has some regulation <laughs> and some kind of an inspection. Yeah, I agree with. I've, I've talked. I've talked to Kurt Kessler, and and you know, depending on the size. In in volume, you're talking about you know uh, uh, just a good food grade lab is fine, yeah. uh, which is you know achievable for a small business. Absolutely. Uh, and if you're in a large large lab, then it would make sense for you to have an ISO clean room, you know, because you're dealing with higher volumes. There's a higher you know there's a higher chance of potential issues, that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of leeway there. But I just I'm a, I fear that. The craft wing of the industry, which really did create the e-liquid industry, um, is just going to get pushed aside in favor of the the heavy marketeers. Doesn't that happen in every industry? It kind of does, but I'm going to fight this tooth and nail. I'm on your side. All I'm seeing is that at some point, you know, you're going to have to evolve. And if if that's if the market is going that that way, yeah, certainly. But I still think that the smaller players do have, especially if you've built a clientele and, and you've evolved your business as well too, and you see and you're taking the necessary steps in your business to get better and and with you know with a better, um, with a, with a cleaner facility or whatever whatever steps you take in the process as your company is is growing to do that, fine. But at some point, you the. the the industry itself, simply from a pricing structure, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, now with these sub-ohm tanks, you're seeing a lot more liquid being consumed. The consumer's being more um, careful on the liquids and how much money they're going to spend. And obviously, some even some companies now are starting to take advantage of it, trying to produce bigger bottles of liquid at a cheaper price to move more products. So in order for you to compete, you're going to have to go that route uh, or create the craft brewery equivalent of liquid as we see now with beers. Absolutely, and and that's the model I've taken from the beginning. That's that's exactly the model I've taken from the beginning. It's always been small batch. It's always been you know I, I you know I never mixed to order back when all the craft vendors were actually mixing thirty mil bottles to order. If you can believe that, um, I've always taken the tr- the track that you got better consistency with with at least a medium sized batch. So so that's the route I've taken. And I, and I don't see any reason at this point Welcome to... Welcome to Blog Talk uh, Radio. One second, please. please I, enter I got, your host pin. When finished, press reason. the pound. I guess Kevin didn't pay the bill again. <laughs> okay. But ide- ideally, I think there's... So start your there's, show there's, now. Press since it appears you're calling back into a live show, so. we are reconnecting you now. All right. Go ahead. All right. I forget what I was going to say. Ideally, I think there's a place for all of us. There's there's a place, you know, just like with beers and, and uh, you know, liquors, you know, pre- premium spirits versus, you know, mass produced spirits, that kind of thing. I think that ideally there's there's a place for all of us. Um, the only issue I see is disclosure. You know, everybody should be disclosing what they're doing, how they're doing it, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of the labeling. Jump in here, uh, James. <laughs> you know what? I'm just thinking about this labeling thing, and then Jay brought up beer, and I just started thinking about the fact that I live in Munster, Indiana, uh, and in Munster, Indiana, we have a brewery called Three Floyds. Well, Three Floyds has gotten a lot of hype. They've gotten a lot of buzz. They have the Dark Lord Days every year that attracts thousands and thousands of people to listen to Scream All Metal and get yelled at by beer geeks. The reality is Three Floyds beer has extremely flashy labels, but by and large, compared to other brews, at least in my opinion, it is extremely overrated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just contrast that with a small brewery right down the street, St. John Malt Brothers. They've got an excellent product, but if you look at the label, there's there's really not much to delineate it from other products on the market. Yeah. So Three Floyds got the marketing right, and they hit it big. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I have to look at it and think, okay, well, that's a different industry entirely. Mm-hmm. Are we going to end up comparing ourselves to Big Tobacco, Dimitri? Because look at look at the type of labeling that they're allowed to do on their product. Yeah. Um, and again, I realize it's apples and oranges, and you're talking about, you know, one thing at one end of the scale as far as harm goes and vaping on the other. But if I look, I've got a pack of American Spirits in front of me, and I bought these about two and a half years ago, and I did a smoke trick with one of them where I, it was a stupid parlor trick, but other than that, it's intact. And this is probably one of the trendiest packagings on cigarettes right now. And this appeals a lot to hipsters and, you know, uh, people in my generation even. So, yeah, because you have a beard. (laughs) I do, but I don't wear flannel all the time. I wear vape shirts because they were free. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know know my feeling on that, James, though. I mean, I'm just looking at it from a realistic standpoint. And the realistic standpoint is we're getting regulated as tobacco. Unless that changes that, that that classification, I'm hoping that further down the line with some litigation we'll be able to change it. I just can't see how it's possible right now. I just it's impossible in my, in my opinion. Unless there's a modified risk category that's being created through the FDA or something, which nobody has applied for. I mean, nobody's nobody you, you've done a lot of research on this itself. So I'm just going yeah. to base it from a realistic standpoint and what we're seeing now under the classification that the FDA is putting us. And that's how I make the decisions. That's how I talk about my opinion is based on what they've given us and what, what the FDA plans to do with this product. Yeah, you're being pragmatic. Yes. You're being pragmatic. That's the word that I was looking for. Thank you, Jay. The, the, you're welcome. The issue is, is that we're dealing with a new generation of vapors who are, are completely philosophical in how, they, in how they strategize their business models. They, they, they don't give a shit. They just don't give a shit. Yeah. By the way, I switched to American Spirits, James, from Marlboro, because I thought they were uh, less harmful. Uh, and I switched, of course. I switched they've, they've to got, uh, Winston Lights for the same reason, because they didn't have preservatives. Mm-hmm. Right. They've got the blurb on there, additive-free natural tobacco blends. Yeah. No fillers. Yeah, That's exactly why I switched <laughs> to natural American Spirits. And I actually thought, hey, hey this is healthy now. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I can live forever twice now. as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. I'm not making shit up. Um, oh man! F- finally, on this, uh, f- on the label, I, I got a couple more issues that I want to tackle. But finally, on this labeling issue, um, do you think that as 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 companies grow, right, there should be some form where there should be some kind of a standard, at least that the majority of companies can adhere to? Okay, let's agree on some stuff. Let's agree on bottle sizes. Let's agree on standard childproof caps, so tamper evidence seals. Let's agree that we have to have these warnings universal across the board. No mason jars then, right? So Uncle Junk's <laughs> big 120 mils, that's, that's out the window. <laughs> I see gallons not going out. What are you talking about? Fucking milk oh, gallons. Man. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's important to have standards like that. I, I don't know how you would... Right now, again, it is... <laughs> I don't, Jay. I know you think that we can self-regulate, and maybe you think that we could come together to some sort of a I, agreement I, on this. But 
I no, there there are two different levels of thought that I have on this. Ideally, you know, the idealist in me, the 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 the, the philosophical thinker in me thinks that yes, we can self-regulate. And I think ultimately, you know, humankind will continue on with vaping without strict regulation. Uh, but the pragmatist in me knows that regulation is coming. So I would certainly acquiesce to certain standards. Right. Certain, you know, uh, you know, childproof caps, absolutely fine. I'm fine with but that. But are you in this for the long term, though, Jay? Because I guess that would be the question. Yes, I, I am. Okay. Well, and that makes sense because you said you would acquiesce. We're dealing with a group of people that are not, they are just grabbing for things. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not painting with a broad brush here when I'm saying that, but at the same time, I'm just realizing a lot of the companies that I've talked to have said, yes, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not going to co-pack. We're not worried about GMP. We're not worried about ISO uh, standards for our labs, uh, you know, because they're in it for what they can get. No, you're absolutely and right. to me, and that's the generation that I've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's what it comes down to, you know. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it because I'm attending a conference at the end of the month um, that's being held on by some big companies. And I wanted to see what they're doing about standards. So do we look at some of the bigger players in the industry and say, well, if they can create some kind of standards, maybe, you know, I'm not talking about AIMSAs or groups or anything like that. I'm just talking individuals as companies. Do they, I mean, we have to start somewhere. We don't know what the regulations are going to bring, obviously. Right? If, yeah, if, the, if there was a more inclusive organization that was more centered around, you know, guidance as opposed to certification, um, I think that would be very well received, at least in the adult wing of the industry. <laughs> um, you know, you're always going to have your outliers. You know, you're always going to have these young kids that are just going to want to make a quick buck. You know, their, their friends tell them, hey, this is cool shit. You should yeah. release that. Um, but no, if we, if we had if we had some some real industry guidance from some of the heavier hitters that weren't necessarily looking to make a buck, um, I think that would go a long way. That's going to be tough to do. I think that's going to be extremely tough to do. I'm trying it, to find it would be, it would be tough to do. But I, I, I guess my question is because what I'm trying to find is how do we take something? How do we propose something? How do we? say to the FDA, we can find a good medium. Okay, we know what you guys want. This is what our product needs uh, because it, it does fall more of the guidelines of this is an alternative. This is not a combustible tobacco product and the guidelines that you have set for this product do not fit the category. Right. So how do we present to them that, listen, these, we have a set of standards. We have a set of guidelines. Can we take these guidelines and use your guidelines and kind of come together and find a way that it satisfies the, the regulators, and, and it satisfies the industry as well, too. Are we going to get everything? Mm -hmm. Obviously not. I mean, we're dealing with the government. Of course we're not going to get everything. And and some of the bigger tobacco companies and the bigger uh, company, the ESIC companies will have a bigger say at that, obviously, for regulation reasons that are going to benefit their their companies, right? Mm -hmm. But and, and, but knowing that, knowing that we're not going to get everything, we might be able to find a way where we present our product with some form of a unified standard across the board, which we're lacking horribly right now. We absolutely are. We absolutely are. Um, you just you just laid a hell of an egg there. <laughs> um, no, I mean, sit on it, Stanley. It's seriously something that I think we should take seriously and, and speak about offline um, about trying to get some people on board, some of the heavier hitters, and you know, 
quite frankly, some of the smaller hitters uh, to come together uh, with a set of standards. Uh, again, not not as a set of standards for the purpose of making money on certifications, but just a set of of loose standards that will, you know, kind of we be able to present to the FDA in a responsible fashion. So at least we have something. Um, you know, AMSA, is, AMSA went a long way towards that, I think. Uh, the problem that I think a lot of the industry had with AMSA was that it was it was kind of an exclusive type of thing. You, you already kind of had to have already made it yep. in, order to, in order to be a part of AMSA. Um, I think what we want is more guidance in a general fashion where we can kind of tackle these these kids that are releasing e-liquids, you know, willy-nilly uh, from their basement uh, with this funky branding and, and maybe get them a little earlier than we than we currently are. I got, a, I got an email. I'm attending the Vape Expo France with work next week. And uh, it was funny because I got an email from the – let me see if I can pull it up here for you really quick – uh, I got an email from the organizers there, and uh, the email was it was kind of I, I was a little bit surprised that 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 uh, that, that uh, you know an expo would send an email out like this you know before the event. I'm assuming it's in in the contract as well too. I didn't see him, I didn't see the contracts, but um, I, I'm just going to read off a couple of the stuff that I see here that 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 I find different than than other shows that I've been to here, here now. Uh, every animation project must be submitted to the organizer before September 8th for approval, and that's includes animation for your booth and what you're going to have displayed what's the graphics you know um, everything that you're going to have as far as marketing has to be submitted for an application before you attend also uh, every animation must take place within your stand only the attending personnel must be notified to the organizer um, animations and outfits must have certain decency without degrading the image of the exhibition the hostesses or any other person within the exhibition hall that's something unique uh, in bold, the next uh, rule is e-liquid sample throwing or any other object is prohibited. By the way, that is in bold. I guess we've kind of given a bad name <laughs> <laughs> across the globe uh, on throwing. No false or abusive speech or advertising will be tolerated. Uh, praising e-liquids benefits of the body on the body, for example. I thought that was great because now I'm going to these vape shows and I'm seeing gaja, I'm seeing CBD oils, I'm seeing all kinds of stuff there that are claiming medical health claims with their with their product. Uh, just seeing some of these these rules, and I, again, I'm seeing this from from Europe, right? From from the EU. Can and, you send that to me? Um, absolutely. Because we have the the North uh, the what is it Vape Northeast uh, convention coming up here in. I believe it's in March, um, and the organizer is, is very open to suggestions, uh, and he's a relatively new vapor, but he's he is well versed in conve- you know doing conventions, um, and I think a lot of these rules would uh, he'd be receptive. I, to. I, there's a couple more things here that I find interesting. By the way, if if you apply these rules here, nobody's gonna come. By the way, <laughs> here's a couple more things that I find interesting. From all the rules, then. In, in, in case of control, we want to remind you that all sales must be recorded in a cash register, which shall be made available to the tax administration. Mm. When's the last time you saw that here? Um, cardboard boxes, blah, 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 general public. Uh, this is an interesting one. Prices displayed must respect to some extent market prices. A special offer for the exhibition is, of course, possible, but any destocking or liquidation sale is banned for the respect of the industry and your distributors. 
Isn't that interesting? So instead of killing the local market there with your product, you know, if you're going to go in, I actually was in in Indiana at the Vape in the Fort, and uh, there was this company trying to get rid of this liquid that they bought. They had like ten thousand bottles. <laughs> they started off at five dollars a thirty mil. Uh, yes. By the end of the first day, it was two dollars a thirty mil, and then the next day it was a dollar a mil, and then after that, they just <laughs> giving it away free, trying to get rid of it as well too. But <laughs> I, I just find these these rules in, interesting for for a show like that. Uh, pr- pretty much setting the tone that this is the the, the way we're going to conduct business, and I'm sure it's going to be busy. I think it's, it's going to be a bit, big show, but it's a way of showing that we can do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of those suggestions are actually pretty good. Uh, some of them are outlandishly bad, but uh, but no, I mean it, it gives us a starting point. I, I think it it proves to be a good outline. You know, at least something we can look at that we can point to these um, some of these events and say, you know, maybe the some of these uh, rules should be employed i send it to kevin from the vcc too to get a to get his perspective on it and see uh and see how he's going to be utilize it but i'll definitely forward it to you as well too uh let me so touch that, to, that brings up ahead, a question Dan. real quick dimitri i have this question should event coordinators slash organizers screen the vendors that they allow at their events I, I'm, I'm talking about the label thing again just in um w- what do you think about that I think absolutely that they should set some kind of a tone on the type of uh, products that they allow. I mean, it happens in every other expo. Well, I just find it interesting that they have an advocacy section, but then a lot of times, and and we really saw this with uh, Vape Expo this year in Michigan. Um, there were a couple of vendors there that were just, I, I don't know. In in my book, I'd, I'd avoid them. I wouldn't sure. touch them with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. Um, and yet the, the event itself was sponsored by the militia or a militia event. Yeah. Um, so th- that kind of stuck with me a little bit. And it, I did talk appear- to Joe about it. It but. appears to me that um, uh, this is a trend without using any names. I'm not using militia as an example. Uh, I'm using advocacy groups in general. Uh, as long as you're getting funds from them for your cause, it's okay. If you're not getting funds from yeah. them, <laughs> then they go after you. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, and, that's the uh, attitude. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, this is my opinion. This is smoke-free radio opinion. I don't care if you like it or not. You don't have to listen. It's a free program. But that is the truth. So, yes, I hate seeing that. And I hate seeing advocacy, advocacy being used to legitimize some of these events. I hate it. But yeah. that's the reality of where we are now. And on the other hand, do you think a show will be successful if they start enforcing those rules? That is the question. <laughs> Uh, my understanding was at VaporCon, I believe Nick said no to a couple different vendors that were there. Um, well, VaporCon's so. a different story because VaporCon has classically been a more social yeah, event. Sure. It's a more social yeah. event, and it tends to it, it's always tended to be a little more uh, grumpy old men. Yeah, it's like a little laid yeah. back meet. Uh, <laughs> it's more of a vape meet and a party than it yeah. is. But let me tell you something about VaporCon. They have never... I like Lou, and I like the, I like that whole group. They have never claimed to be something that they're not. Right. So they never came out and say, "Oh, we're going to do this, you know, to support advocacy. We're going to do this to throw an expo." Never. They've always stayed true to what they've done. This is what it is. This is a vape meet, a party. We're going to get together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a good time. Right. They but have, they've, they've always given room for advocacy. Absolutely, they have. But they've yeah. never used it as a tool to promote their event. Right. And I have to congratulate them for that. I think that's fantastic. This is exactly what we are, and this is what we do. I'm talking about shows that are using those groups as a way of legitimizing basically the, what they're trying to do with, it, with the event. You can't, ha- on one hand, say that 
hey, this is bad. And on the other hand, take that $1,000 check. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can, but, you know, is, is it well, proper? Well, they do. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is it proper is my question. Uh, we'll see what happens. And I think now with more and more vape meets going on, I think a lot of the professionals, uh, especially professionals that I talk to almost on a daily basis, uh, that have approached me and told me that they're starting to pick and choose. Because now there's more and more events being American Vaping Convention starting in Irvine, Texas now, uh, the Vape Northeast. I mean, there's there's a new event popping up every week. And a lot of it has to do with because there's so much money in it. I mean, where else can you throw a couple events a year and make a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? That's, yeah, that, I mean, that's the main reason. Right. I'm, I'm positive that's why. Right, right, right. So if, if, if there's more and more conventions popping up, so I think a lot of the professionals are picking and choosing the events that are going to go. And I think that the events are going to be geared towards business. We don't have a proper B2B event for the industry that is not Big Tobacco sponsored. Do you know that? Exactly correct. Not one. Right. The one in Vegas is big tobacco sponsored. The one in Chicago, uh, Creek Tech, which is a big tobacco distributor, one of the biggest uh, tobacco distributors in the United States, throws in the background. So we don't have a pure B2B exposition properly uh, organized and held anywhere in the U.S. right now. We have right. this mix I, of consumers and B2B, and I think that's part of the issue. I, I think the closest thing we've had is is what Kevin Skipper put together up in New England. That, be, that became a de facto B2B yeah. because – you know, they yeah. had not blown up so much here. Yeah, James, you were there. You you saw it. Uh, it became yeah. a fact OB to be. Um, and it, that's not a bad thing, but I'm sure Kevin would have liked to have seen it uh, go another way. <laughs> James? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm reading chat here, and I'm, I'm just thinking about, uh, I don't know if I'm reading this the right way, mm-hmm. but from what a few people have said, it looks like, Man, I don't know. I look. I'm I'm a I'm a tobacco harm reduction advocate. Period. Um, I've made no ifs, ands, or buts about the fact that I use Swedish snow snow, and I advocate for that product as well. And uh, I don't. It's it's hard when you see the writing on the wall when you see people are engaging in advertising that you know is going to be stricken from from record and 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 look when when they when they regulate jay was right when he said what we come up with may not be what we end up with i i know you didn't say it that way jay but you get my drift so you're more eloquent so (laughs) i my, my my issue is that if Look, I believe that we should have the freedom to vape what we want, when we want to, etc. But I'm also a realist, and I look at the fact that this is going to be regulated. And you can already see the writing on the wall with them bringing up the attractiveness to children, gateway to smoking, all of these arguments. I'm telling you what, that stuff isn't just going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a compromise. This is going to be a compromise like... A woman that you've been married to for 40 years where you nag each other all the time, you know, you got to come up with a compromise. It's not always going to go the way you want it to. And I think that's what we're going to be left with. The best question, the best thing to do, though, is position ourselves so that that doesn't hurt as badly Yeah. when it comes through. And it definitely doesn't wipe out the entire industry, which there's a possibility it might happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it happened with the roll-your-own-tobacco industry, and, and we saw how that worked out for them. Some of my fears are seriously, uh, you know, severe and intrusive consolidation of the industry. That, that's one of my biggest fears, being a small business owner, 
you know, being somebody who's who's truly devoted to the craft wing of this industry. But I I would gladly give that up in favor of vaping continuing on in in some fashion, you know, as it currently does. Sure. Um, I think I think we've exhausted the label issue, but I, I think it's going to be relevant. <laughs> I think it's always relevant because we're gonna we're gonna end this segment and there's gonna be another one that's gonna pops up. To, and I'm <laughs> gonna say, oh my god, <laughs> I didn't think that one could be topped off. I mean, how can you top off Gerber's e juice? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I think Rod wanted to do an STD vapes line too. <laughs> STD vapes. <laughs> give me, give me some names of liquids. Oh, you know, herpes, gonorrhea, all those. To <laughs> the definitely cheese. stand out. <laughs> uh, let me bring up this last uh, subject because I promised uh, somebody that I would. Uh, another battery explosion down in South Georgia, uh, and from what it appears, once again, hybrid threaded connection of an Atlantis tank to some mech mod. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that, obviously. What do we do? What do we do as an industry to try to prevent that? Uh, does, does it fall down an education shop? Does it fall down on social media? Does it fall down on the existing vapors? Uh, I mean, I, I know we can't fix them. Um, you know, we don't have that power. But more and more of these coming out, especially at a critical time for, for the product and for the industry as a whole, is, is starting to be concerning to me. James, I know you're a very big proponent of, of battery safety. You've always been. I've learned most of the battery safety that I know from you. So let me get, let me get, um, let me get to you first. What are your thoughts on this, this latest uh, uh, hybrid threaded fiasco? Again, you're talking about, uh, from a safety standpoint, you're taking something that has a spring pin on it or a very flexible pin with a rubber washer and you're screwing it onto a hybrid connection, basically putting it right onto the battery. So, I mean, and I believe most of the people that are listening right now are probably savvy to the fact that that's a very bad idea. Uh, The center pin, of course, can easily short out and then you have the situation that you had there. Um, you know, I, I know people are going to look at this and say, well, this this is why regulated mods need to be the only ones that are promoted or on the market or sold at brick and mortars. Uh, the truth is we've seen in the past that that is not always the solution. Of course, with the iStick 50s, you know, you had people burying them in their yards or chucking them across, yeah. the, across a pond because they were... Uh, they were uh, continuously firing or overheating and causing fires. So, again, it comes down to safety. Does that onus lie on the brick and mortar? Well, and I know, you know, Ed DeGreen and I, we talked about this on the show a couple weeks back. Um, they can buy mods from China, have their logo engraved on that mod, and at that point they become the one that's responsible for what happens with that device. But who are, you, who are you going to litigate against if you're a person that's hurt? You're going to go after the brick and mortar because they're in the U.S. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'll say, though, Dimitri, is there are constantly issues with laptop batteries, cell phone batteries, all of these other products, particularly with counterfeits. And I'll tell you, that is very, very prevalent on Amazon and eBay. Mm-hmm. You can find LG ripoffs and Panasonic aftermarket batteries and all of these things. And the quality control is not the same. I'm not saying you always have to buy legitimate, but I'll tell you what, it sure helps quite a bit. And with electronics as well, too. I mean, that could go both yeah. ways. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. I see it from, I don't think it's a mecha problem. I mean, I've kind of transitioned to regulated devices simply for the ease of use. You know, just plug and play a USB. Hell, I'm 44 years old. Ain't nobody got time to charge six batteries. Yeah. But I also see the romanticism in, in, in a tube as well, too. I don't want it to go away. I want it to be available if I want to use it. Um, but my problem here, Jay, from, from a vendor perspective is, in this country where ambulance chasers run rampant, <laughs> we're seeing it right now in California with, with a lawsuit that's going on, um, the first people they're going to go after is the brick-and-mortar stores and where this guy bought the, bought, bought the device. They're, they're going to go where the easy money is, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, and usually that's going to be the brick-and-mortar. Sure. Um, e- even in the case where it's a U.S. manufacturer, most of the money, most of the revenue is being funneled through that brick-and-mortar. So important to sell. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, most of these, uh, especially when you're talking about mechs, you're talking about extremely short runs. You know, these guys are making, you know, twenty to $100,000 at a clip, and then that money's gone. You know, so who are they going to sue? They're going to sue wherever the money is, and that's the brick and mortar. So, yeah, with, with mechs, it's it's always going to be a touchy and, subject. And at, the, and at the end of the day, it's like... I feel bad for the guy, man. I mean, he had his mod explode in his face. You know, I mean, we, we saw we, that with um. Oh shoot, what was their name? Uh, it was just last year. Uh, a good friend of mine. Um, a mod exploded in a guy's pocket, and the guy just went right after uh, the. Oh, brick- down in Texas, down in Texas. Yeah, yes. It was in, yes. I can't remember uh, his name, but I know who he, he wasn't that well good of a friend. You don't remember his name. But. Dale. <laughs> but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the story down in Texas. Dale. Um, and it and it upsets me because you know sure there's a little fault you know going around everywhere but uh, I mean that's just kind of there's going to be an inherent danger in anything you do sure. right yeah. so, are you talking about Vixen vapors I wasn't going to name the battery Jesus Christ <laughs> I'm sorry no publicity is bad publicity man I'm, I'm horrible about me. this I'm a consumer trust, trust I'm not a broadcaster I'm not a professional uh, yeah. anyway, any publicity uh, is good in publicity and vapor trust me. <laughs> Uh, He he had batteries in his pocket with change, so that's a no-brainer. But that's one of the points I wanted to make. We're talking about, especially if you're talking about somebody that's been smoking conventional analog cigarettes, and now now they're using vapes and they're using PVs, and especially if they're sub-ohm, you're talking about having to carry a mod, spare batteries, juice, all these things, and they're used to carrying around a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. Right. So... And there's education that goes along with that, you know. Uh, Dane lives in Arizona. If he leaves an 18650 in his freaking car, the thing is going to vent because it's hotter than hell there. Yeah. Cigarette and a lighter was never a problem unless you were a welder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there are dangers. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, as much as – and I remember all three of us, you know – Four years ago, used to scream about people subbombing. Yeah, we used to scream, saying, "This is dangerous. This now is dangerous." Now they scream at you if you don't subbomb. <laughs> I'm, I'm so walking around with 11 watt, 1.5 ohm thing, and people are screaming. Now the industry screams if you don't subbomb. That's, right, that's right. And that's an issue because we're old and crotchety, and, and you know. <laughs> but the truth is that we've the technology is evolving so fast that we're missing all the education uh, checkpoints in between. Right, but but my point was that these incidents of of explosions have not necessarily increased in frequency as a result. 
You know what I mean? That, we used to have that, stick that we bats of, exploding. Yeah. We yeah. used to have egos exploding. Now we're having now we're having a few mech mods explode. We're having a few a few uh, you know China regulated devices exploding. It's not necessarily increasing the frequency. It's just you know they're bigger explosions. And and they're also more in the public eye because of where we're at. Because of yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's again a PR nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, uh, I hate to see stories like I hate to see battery exploding. Like I just I'm like just like I kill like a like a gut. Somebody <laughs> just punched me in the gut, right? Because you know you always have that one friend that comes up to you. See, I told you this shit will kill you. You know, like <laughs> oh fuck, like I'm so tired of fucking explaining it every time. I was like oh god, oh my god, did he message you? I'm checking my Facebook messages. Um, finally, California, again, passed through the session uh, this week, as they expected. Very, very tricky situation over there. They didn't announce it ahead of time. Uh, there's still time to act. Uh, CASA has done a great job. They have put out uh, this flyer that you can download and put inside your store. I'll put the, uh, the link inside the chat as well, too. And it's pretty easy. It has a QR code. So you can send an email or you can make a call. Um, choose whichever one you want to do. But California Vapor is extremely important. Just pick up the phone, in my opinion, is the best way. Pick up the phone and call and voice your opposition. Make sure you're a registered voter. I think it counts. I, I, I know that the consumer voice counts, but we have to get activated. We have to get thousands of people in California to call and oppose ABX 2-6. So it is not over till it's over in California. Uh, a lot of groups are, do, are working behind the scenes trying to to slow this thing down i know that the, the a lot of consumers don't know what's going on in the back in the background and I, the, the, you have to be confident in the people that are leading you and what they're doing in the background sometimes it's not possible to make it public so you have to understand that so uh but as a consumer what you can do is pick up the phone use that little uh, uh, qr code that casa has provided and uh, pick up the phone and call and oppose this lastly before i let you gentlemen go mm-hmm you did notice that uh, Russ, two weeks in a row, has not done a show. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. Yeah. So I... And uh, uh, how I don't know how, how to wipe my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I had somebody put a, a bug in his apartment. <laughs> and I obtained some audio uh, of what's happening in his apartment... <laughs> Last night, and why he didn't do a show. I just want you. I want you to just listen to this. What the cat was doing on that one? <laughs> I thought that was Donald Duck getting a blowjob for a second there. It appears, it appears there's a there's a cat orgy going on in Russ's apartment. I don't have any video evidence yet, but if I do, trust me, tune in here. You'll Breaking have news. you'll have the exclusive. All right, gentlemen, I have to let you go. It's been fun as always. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me and and discussing some of the various topics that are going on there. I always appreciate your opinion and I always appreciate your input. Uh, James, Tuesday night, Inside Vaping. Yes, it's opposite Rust Rust when he does have a show. There's no cat porn, I'm assuming. Um, But you guys do a great job. I try to watch on the replays. 
Uh, and it's nice to see a structured vape show continue to to go on. So great job that you're doing over there with uh, with Dane and Ed. Um, also on the Jay DeLuca fiasco, I didn't know you left Quest. I didn't know you had you started doing shows there. Year ago, I, I actually started my own channel uh, specifically because of the advocacy issues going on in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, vapors Vapors.tv slash NEV is where you can find me on Friday nights at 8 o'clock. Vapors.tv slash NEV. By the way, what did it cost for them to release you from your contract at Quest? That must have cost them a lot of money. <laughs> oh, it, they actually had to pay me. Uh, well, I didn't know you were a free agent. I'll bring in and do more shows here with me. You should, you should come and join me and do some more shows. Please do. But normally we actually do do a do-do. I said do-do. Do-do. <laughs> do-do. Normally, we actually have a Wednesday night show as well, but uh, you called on me, and I and I and I uh, I shut down the show for tonight. Wow, that's uh, but very, 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 very sweet of you. Sometimes we do a Wednesday show focused solely on New England issues, but uh, there is an ending to that audio that I got from Russ. I don't know if you want to hear it. I kind of fast forward it towards the end. This is Russ. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I really don't know. I really don't know what's going on there. I don't know if I want to see the video now, <laughs> by the way. Uh, Stanley says hi, by the way. Oh, thank you so much, Stanley. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Jay DeLuco and James Martin, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me. <laughs> good night. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Uh, Have good a good evening. There they go, everybody. James and Jay, great guys. Thanks for joining me here. Uh, state advocacy, again, the topic uh, earlier today on the show, uh, Extremely important to get organized in your state. Massachusetts, the the shit is going to hit the fan tomorrow. We know that. Kentucky, you have a bad bill coming this year as well. Try to do something, whatever it is in your state, to get organized, get lobby representation before these bad bills hit. Uh, that way you will be prepared and you will try to fight all the bad legislation that is affecting the vapor industry. I will not be here next week. I will be on a plane traveling to Paris attending the Vape Expo. Uh, with work, I will be back the following Wednesday. Of course, check out all the shows here on VP Live. Five days a week. Sunday, Kevin with VP Live Radio. Monday, Anti Nanny with Revan Grimm. Tuesday, if not occupied by cats, Russ Wishtart with Clickbang Radio. Wednesday night, Smoke Free Radio. And Thursday, the lovely, the talented, the beautiful Jeannie K with a Jeannie K show. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. <laughs>